Hey everyone, this is Victor from Cyborg for Life, and today I have a very special interview for you. He's a leader at the Center for Limb Lengthening and Reconstruction at the Mongol Anand Hospital in Chimbor, Mumbai, India. Please enjoy the interview with Dr. Mongol Parihar. All right, everyone, today we have a very special guest joining us. He is the leader of the Center for Limb Lengthening and Reconstruction as part of the Mongol Anand Hospital in Chimbor, Mumbai, India. He is revered by his peers as the top reconstruction specialist in all of India, which is why patients from around the world go to him for his experience in the most advanced methods of limb lengthening, deformity correction, and even height enhancement to make you taller. Please join me in welcoming world-renowned orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Mongol Parihar. Hey, Dr. Parihar, how are you doing this morning? Or, good, good. It's afternoon there <laughs> in India. It's uh, half past five now. Wow, okay, <laughs> I'll get that right. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for joining me. Your reputation precedes you. With uh, so many raving fans, prospective patients, and other surgeons who speak very highly of you, I just, you know, I knew I had to have you as a guest. So uh, before we begin, I just want to like go through some of your amazing accolades over the years. Um, you earned your medical degree from Seth G.S. Medical College and did res residency at King Edward Memorial Hospital, Hospital in Mumbai, India. You then followed this up with a fellowship in total joint replacement with Dr. Rana Watt at Hospital for Special Surgery in New York as well as one in limb lengthening and reconstruction with Dr. Jora Paley when he was still at the uh, in Baltimore at the International Center for Limb Lengthening. On top of those such, you know, your medical, your medical background, you also have been invited to speak at uh, annual courses, workshops, and conferences worldwide in the UK, US, and India, and even other orthopedic disciplines, which goes to show why your philosophy of excellence and perfection suits you so well. So to lead off our discussion, I just want to start by asking, how did you become interested in pursuing limb lengthening and deformity correction? Um, actually, uh, during my residency, I there was a lecture by a surgeon who was in New York when Elizarov conducted kind of the first course over there. Mm -hmm. So this guy, um, was sitting probably in one of the first rows and he had a whole series of uh, pictures which Elizarov had projected. And when he came back to India, he kind of had a small uh, meeting where he showed all of this uh, work. And Elizarov in those lectures had some amazing, uh, you know, images. Uh -huh. When I looked at that, that was something that uh, I decided, oh, this is extremely interesting. And this was, it was absolutely new at the time, somewhere around uh, 89. Mm -hmm. And so I decided that, you know, I'm going to look at this more in detail. Mm -hmm. Then I started looking up references as to, you know, where I can learn it. And the name uh, Paley kept coming up in all of the uh, references. Mm -hmm. So then I uh, decided that, okay, this is where I'm going to go and learn. Wow. I, I wrote to Dr. Paley and kindly accepted me. So I was one of his second, I was his second fellow, yeah. Wow. So when he was at Kernan Hospital. Okay, very cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, that is cool uh, because we know that limb lengthening and deformity correction, it's a very niche and specialized area of orthopedics. And um, not only have you saved the limbs of many patients, you know, but you're also helping people improve their height which is with cosmetic limb lengthening and stature lengthening. So um, do you believe in your years of experience as a limb lengthening surgeon, do you believe that 
uh, it's important that the surgeon has a background in deformity correction um, before they pursue cosmetic or stature lengthening um, patients? I, I think so. Because, um, see, with cosmetic lengthening, essentially you're taking a normal person. Mm -hmm. And you are trying to make him, you know, longer. Mm -hmm. But in that normal person, if you lose even five degrees of movement in the ankle, let's say, you made that person abnormal. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, I was always kind of, I've, I've learned from all my gurus that function is more important than length. Mm -hmm. So, lose, and there can be all kinds of problems with, uh, limb lengthening. Once you are comfortable, once you are facile with the use of the Elizabeth uh, technology and you can anticipate the problems, I think that's more important than treating the problem. So anticipating problems, preventing them and all of that comes only with a certain number of uh, cases mm -hmm. under your belt. Okay. So it, it's kind of like, you know, a, a pyramid. Mm -hmm. You're doing all the general non-union kind of work at the base of the pyramid. Then there is deformity correction, more advanced deformity correction where we use, say, internal fixation. And cosmetic lengthening, I think, is, is uh, right at the apex. Most of the people that I know who do cosmetic lengthening, at least a large number, uh, cosmetic lengthening is a very small percentage of the entire uh, work that they do. Mm -hmm. it's not it's not the be all and uh, end all i personally do cosmetic lengthening basically because there are a certain subset of people uh, who absolutely want uh, lengthening who've done all their research who know what the pros and cons who know what the pitfalls are and still want to uh, get it done and those are the people that i think uh, should be taken care of in the sense they should not land up with somebody who's not necessarily uh, not necessarily an expert in in it, and therefore those kind of patients uh, I will do. Mm -hmm. I tend to be pretty selective in terms of uh, you know how many that we do. I don't take anybody that uh, comes in. I would say I, I first try to explain to them all because a lot of them, especially in India don't necessarily know the downsides of it in the sense that they're going to be away from social life mm -hmm. for a while. Right. Uh, because that's not something that people like to advertise. Mm -hmm. So if, when you're undergoing lengthening and especially with earlier the external methods and all that, um, it was obvious that you're undergoing a lengthening. So they will have to be away from social life. Right. And a lot of those issues uh, come into play. So then these guys, these kind of people, once you explain all the negatives to them, uh, they would not go in for lengthening. It's only a small percentage who have already done all the research, who know all, all the stuff that, that needs to be known. They then go ahead uh, with surgery. But wow. even having said that, I think my numbers overall compared to people in the West over here is, is much lesser. I see. So when you select your patients, that you make sure that they are not only they understand they have informed consent, but is there any other type of psychological evaluation that you do with them? Not really. Okay. One thing we don't 
have any real psychological uh, testing which is worth the name and secondly i am mm-hmm. more interested in seeing that the patient understand understands uh, what he or she is letting himself uh, in yes. for i see if, if know what what they are what is possible no patient goes through lengthening without a little bit of ups and downs there may be pain there may be some restriction of uh, movement to start with mm-hmm. and then they need to be pushed a little to get over that problem mm-hmm. so as long as they understand what they are letting themselves in for yeah. then we can work together okay if they come in thinking that oh this is going to be a you know walk in the park and uh, i'm just going to go i'm going to have an operation and i'm going to get longer but then when they they hit the first roadblock then it becomes a problem because this is something they didn't expect oh i didn't i didn't know that there will be so much pain i didn't know you know i i have to do this exercise and stuff but the guy people who are well uh, who are knowledgeable about it they 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 realize okay this is a problem they work and then it becomes more of a joint effort so we we are able to help them get over whatever um, roadblocks they have so but there's no specific psychological testing okay very cool awesome and so and especially since this is this is not one of my primary uh, mm-hmm. objectives in terms of it's it's not the way that i make a living right cosmetic lengthening is not the way i make a living mm-hmm. i see okay so um i w- i prefer if i i generally like to put myself in you know the patient's place mm-hmm. if it were my brother my sister my parent what would be the things i would be mm-hmm. uh, telling him or her and how would i be taking care of him or her so i think patients deserve uh, that much that in terms of laying out everything this is possible ultimately especially in india that tends to be there that you know doctor you know best yeah i i am a doctor but ultimately this decision has to be made between the two of us uh, the west carries it to a totally different uh, degree in the west okay this is option 1 this is option 2 mm-hmm. and you have to select yeah and this is there, there is this so called informed consent there is no such thing as informed consent okay if if i am sitting across to you and i tell you okay uh, this is option a and this is option b but you know sometimes in option a this kind of thing this kind of problem can occur okay. option b also there is a problem but you know that's not a big deal mm. now i'm already kind of priming you towards option b right okay so yes you lay out all the facts mm-hmm. but there is also a, a kind of uh, unsaid information that is passing between the doctor and the patient i see having said that it is once i take up a patient and i think most most of us not only me mm-hmm. most doctors who are you know good at their profession will do that once you've taken a patient on mm-hmm. that patient is your responsibility till that patient has finished his treatment whatever uh, it was mm-hmm. so i don't have a 100% uh success rate this is what i tell patients that if i if i say i have a 99% success rate mm-hmm. it means that one out of 100 mm-hmm. still has not succeeded for him the failure is 100% mm-hmm. 
But what I'm interested in is, okay, even if you have a problem, then I should be able to carry you through that problem and solve that. You know? So there, there is the matter of trust. There is the matter of building a rapport. And a lot of our lengthening patients, they are not treatments which finish in 15 days. These are things which take a long time. You know, you're lengthening, you're correcting a deformity gradually at one millimeter per day. That takes time. So over that time, there is definitely a certain amount of uh, rapport that builds up between patient and uh, surgeon. So that I think that part in a relationship between a doctor and a patient okay. is important. And you can't let it go by not speaking the truth. When you speak the truth, it's very easy to build that rapport. Okay. I like that. Yeah. Being truthful, the upfront, that's a very important thing. And when you do the procedure for cosmetic stature lengthening, do you perform the uh, surgery on both legs yourself or do you have another assistant doctor with you? No, we have a team, but mm -hmm. I, I do uh, both sides. Okay. Myself. Yeah. There may be some preparatory parts or ending parts, mm -hmm. you know, which, which will be done by my uh, colleagues. One of my colleagues is is very uh, senior. He's he's a surgeon. Okay. Uh, in his own right, but for cosmetic, mm -hmm. is something that uh, we I do it both oh. sides myself. Okay. And I take but no way around it. Right. <laughs> um, when you have a patient come to you for um, cosmetic stature thing for a consultation or stuff, and they ask you about the amount of length they can get in the femurs or the tibias. Um, what is the typical amount of length that you'll give them? Do you have strict limits in place or do you just kind of have a um, lengthen and we'll watch what happened and make sure that we can prevent the problems along the way? Yeah, I, I would usually tell a patient for tibias where um, you're doing, you know, with, with we were doing it with fixators and stuff. It would be six centimeters. Okay. After six centimeters, uh, we found that the number of problems that occur um, you know, go up exponentially. Okay. Up to five, almost everybody goes on without too much of a problem. Okay. Five to six, they start getting tightness when they have to start working out more on the uh, tendo Achilles and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So usually I say six centimeters. If you hit six centimeters well and things are going okay, you might, we might try for more. Okay. But usually six is what I would say for. Uh, for the femur, that the precise that we've done, precise nails that we've done, mm -hmm. uh, we've gone to 7.5 uh, on all of them okay. without too much of uh, trouble. Okay. Sorry, 7.5 on two of them, six on a, on the third one, but that six was because mm -hmm. uh, the patient didn't want anymore. Patient just wanted. Just wanted six. Yeah, he, he was doing well enough at six, and he he, he could have gone to 7.5 if he wanted. Wow. Um, and speaking of um, the lengthening devices that you use, um, so you use a combination of, depending on the, the patient selection, you have external and internal. Now, you have the precise nail there. Um, do you also offer the stride nail or do you not offer that right now? No, we, we, uh, it's, if it's uh, available, yeah. which it is available now, yeah. the patient can choose to go for the stride Exactly now, maybe for the next 15 days or a month, I'm told that the company is undergoing some kind of uh, audit. Yeah. Therefore, the stride is not 
available now mm-hmm. uh, precise two is okay now available um, and in another three weeks or so they tell me that the stride also will be available so oh. there's the issue the way it works unlike in the us and uh, remaining countries mm-hmm. the way it works here is they have a distributor and because the numbers here are not a large amount mm-hmm. i think they have not uh, because getting it cleared by the indian fda takes time effort and money right so unless you have a certain number of uh, implants going in mm-hmm. it probably is not worth it so currently at least there is a distributor in delhi who uh, there is a specific method where for a particular patient they get a license okay so when the patient comes up they get all the patient details the patient pays the company mm-hmm. and they import it specifically for that particular patient wow. with one size up one size down so there's a whole bunch of implants which are uh, flown in by air rate mm-hmm. and then they go out again once the surgery is done they they go out again okay so that whole process takes about 6 uh, weeks okay. it's not like in the west where it's kind of off the shelf right by a little bit of planning sometime in the future you know things might change right so do you prefer that a patient consult with you let's say maybe 8 weeks in advance to make sure that they have that all preparation that preparation in place yes i mean if if you if you consult me today yeah and you tell me that you want to have the uh, precise or the stride you can't have it done uh, before 6 weeks okay if you tell me doc i'm ready mm-hmm. then we put you in touch with the company and then the company starts the work and by the time see occasionally it may come in a, a little earlier also mm-hmm. but six is like the uh, safe limit probably somewhere between 4 to 5 weeks it gets in yeah then there's a little bit of a buffer buffer time i see very cool very very cool and um you have other you offer other methods obviously for you know let's say patients who um may have either a partial deformity like knock knees or bow legs um and still want lengthening and or you know for budget constraints uh what other methods do you offer at your center there uh, we use the regular elizarov okay and we have uh six axis systems that is uh, what are called hexapods okay so one of the famous hexapods in in the west is the tsm yes but we have a homegrown uh, version known as the ortho suv okay it is actually a russian device which was made in uh, india under license mm-hmm. but effectively all uh, six axis systems are the same they have six struts mm-hmm. they have certain software to allow the manipulation of the struts mm-hmm. and they allow a precise um, change in length angulation um, what we call translation that is side to side as well as rotation mm. and all of these movements can be done with one set of uh, sort of motors uh-huh. the, with the classical elizarov also you can do the same thing yeah except that with the classical elizarov for each movement there needs to be a little bit of change in the hardware mm. so this makes it much easier for the surgeon mm-hmm. and from the patient's point of view it becomes much more precise i see using a six six axis system okay so we have we have uh, the regular elizarov we have the hexapods mm-hmm. for some patients uh, we may use a monolateral mm-hmm. fixator uh, similar to the orthofix 
mm-hmm. but a locally uh, made one. But that's mainly for lengthening bone transport and that kind of thing. Not so much for uh, deformity correction. Okay. And nowadays we also have locked plates so that we are able to correct the deformity with a fixator and then put a plate on, so that the patient doesn't have fixator for a long time. So there are multiple methods that are available. Okay, very cool. As that's and you as a surgeon, have you seen the different? Um, Obviously, I'm sure you've known the benefits between the external fixator and the internal nail. Um, how has that been uh, different for you? Has it changed the game completely um, from the precise? Yeah. If anybody asks me what's, what is the best method of lengthening, I would say today, if you can afford it, yeah. because in India, affordability is an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can afford it, then uh, getting it with a nail, lengthening with a nail, is uh, much better right and when it started i was i was wondering whether or not you know indian patients would be able to afford it but out of the three cosmetic lengthenings that we that is the, that we've done mm-hmm. two of them were indian okay patients. yeah one of them was uh, from the middle east okay then two tibial lengthenings that we've done not for cosmesis but you know uh, limb length discrepancy mm-hmm them were uh, Indian patients. I see. So it's it's still way beyond the uh, what do you call it? the level for Indian patients to to pay freely, mm-hmm. but it is it is it is being done. Right. I see. Um, and Dr. Parihar, what type of uh, prophylactic measures do you take for successful outcomes? So, do you do anything like? Um, soft tissue releases or, um, you know, uh, like the IT band release or like a gastrosoleus release, anything like that during the procedure? Yes. I mean, th- those are kind of, there are some standard uh, things. If, if the gastrosoleus is tight, you can do a gastrosoleus um, recession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All femoral lengthenings we will do uh, uh, through a small incision. We uh, make an incision and excise, in fact, a part of the ileotibial tract. Okay. So that lengthening is not a problem. Range of motion is not a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the primary soft tissue procedures that we do. Okay. Occasionally, if, if the rectus, etc. is tight, one may consider that. But I have not had a, a patient who has required that as yet. Okay. But anything that is tight to start with, it makes sense to... Mm-hmm. release it through uh, small incisions mm-hmm. so that you, you don't have trouble with the uh, lengthening later on. I see. And let's say that a patient um, does have the precise nail done. What type of weight-bearing protocols do you have post-op? Because um, we know the, the precise two can handle a certain amount of weight. The stride can handle almost a completely different. What type of protocols do you have? Is it walker-assisted or what type of? The first first patient that we did was the first patient in all of uh, uh, India. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so there we were extremely, uh, what do you call, conservative in the sense I didn't want to take the slightest risk in terms of anything breaking, bending, and stuff, uh, because it's it's a big expenditure anyways. Mm-hmm. And then on top of it all, to have a complication. So there we were very very, you know, we we approached things very gingerly. Okay. Other two patients, the next 
patient and the third patient mm-hmm. we had them standing uh, bed to toilet transfers with a walker okay not promoting them too much of walking we were allowing them to stand so that you know the the foot remains plantigrade and stuff like that mm-hmm. and, and once we start seeing bone in the regenerate gap then we start increasing the weight bearing gradually but even then it's with a walker okay and only when i'm fully convinced that yes there is good bone in the regenerate then i shift them onto a pair of uh, elbow crutches mm-hmm. see that's very so good i don't see any any advantage per se for me i mean if when we've got you know 50 under the belt mm-hmm. then maybe i would be more um, what do you call uh, aggressive in terms of weight bearing right. right now with this method yeah we are not having any problems with deformities we are not having any problems with regenerate formation mm-hmm. only thing is that uh, patients may take a little longer to but 7 months or 8 months full weight bearing i don't think it makes too much of a difference if it means you know if if ever i have generally general philosophy is if ever i have to make a mistake i would rather make a mistake of being too cautious rather than being aggressive i like that <laughs> right i am i'm a fearful man yeah <laughs> but it's safe it's safety that's what it's all about i like it um and if a patient wanted uh let's say more than the typical recommended length and they wanted to go for two different surgeries how long would you recommend the, if they wanted to do both the femurs and the tibias how long between the surgeries would you recommend they wait in my hands i would say at least about 6 8 months mm-hmm. to a year okay essentially to ensure that they get back in terms of good range of motion good walking everything should come back mm-hmm. to normal and then uh you you do you you do the next part okay the, because the more lengthening at the same time or within a short span that you add mm-hmm. the more the soft tissues have to cope with then you require a whole lot of inputs in terms of uh, therapy and stuff like that mm-hmm. which for the individual lengthening i think is is manageable Mm-hmm. or combined stuff you need a patient who's committed you need whole uh, therapy set of people who are of a different uh, level i don't think we have that okay. pressing need at the moment so our system right now is is uh, relatively we've got good therapists we've got uh, we've got a bunch of three therapists who come in sort of uh, turns but uh, still we are a little bit old fashioned i would say on that i see and how often do they have to do physical therapy is it every day that you mandate that uh usually what they're doing is um doing therapy while they are in hospital the therapist is guiding them pushing them yeah if we are happy with the way that they are doing things then they continue doing it at home okay and we keep a check when they come back for uh follow ups etc maybe every 12 to 15 days mm-hmm. they're doing well then they just get a you know visit from the therapist they they go to the therapist when they come for a follow up right the therapist checks that they're doing everything 
maybe add another level of uh, exercise and stuff mm-hmm. if they are not doing well then either they get the therapist to come to them mm-hmm. or on rare occasions i mean this is not i'm not talking of cosmetic but i'm talking of even regular elizer of patients if they're not doing their exercises the way that i need them to mm-hmm. i may even admit them for four five days so that they have twice a day yeah uh, therapy and they get back into the uh, proper gradient mm-hmm. and then they go back home and uh, continue but that those are few and far in between right going on the exercises most patients ultimately they they themselves want to get better i see so i really see a lack of uh, involvement from the patient's point of view mm-hmm. and as far as pain management goes uh, do you have a certain protocol in place to help your patients manage from immediately after the surgery for the first few weeks when you know the body's kind of you know uh, recuperating yeah for the first um, couple of weeks we take a lot of uh, care in terms of you know how we make our incisions and stuff then uh, the use of local anesthetic in the incisions mm-hmm. sometimes uh, depending on the surgery an epidural mm-hmm. for the first 2 3 days so that they can start moving without pain uh, for about 7 days or so i will use anti inflammatories oh, okay. something like ibuprofenac and things like that to ensure that you know the inflammation uh, settles down quickly okay but usually after 2 weeks then we try and limit to simpler medications like paracetamol uh tramadol or things like that because non steroidals at least theoretically have been shown mm-hmm. to have some risk with bone formation oh, okay but we put a lot of importance to ensuring uh pain relief because if the patient is painful mm-hmm. they are not going to be able to do the exercises well but we will we will we will tailor it according to need i would say 90% get along pretty well with just uh, paracetamol after the first couple of weeks okay as lengthening progresses as they get towards the end mm-hmm. uh things can become a little tight more of discomfort bordering on pain Mm-hmm. but again there there is a mixture of uh, you know medication a little bit of pep talk explanations as to why this is happening mm-hmm. and they get through that period right so i've i've never had a patient yet so i the thing i like to tell patients is it's not pain less yeah but i've never had a patient tell me oh i wish i never had gone through all of this so <laughs> there's never pain to the extent that they regret Uh, whatever it is that they are doing i see i see and for your uh let's say let's talk for your discrepancy patients because i have people who watch for that as well um for a patient who has a large discrepancy in one of their limbs let's say their femur of let's say 10 cm do you typically split it among the femur and the tibia or do you just do the femur as much as possible wait till it heals reosteotomize and then do it again what's your yeah. protocol usually we would we would discuss it uh, with the patient in the sense that if there's 10 cm and you do 5 cm in the tibia mm-hmm. then your knees are going to be mismatched absolutely but 5 uh, cm of a mismatch is something that is kind of tolerable mm-hmm. and tibial lengthenings are relatively easier mm-hmm. so depending on what the patient uh, wants and how much is the length 
to be achieved. So if it's like six and seven centimeters, I would say okay, do all of it in the same bone. But then if it becomes longer, mm -hmm. then the patient has that option. And usually we come to a decision based on a, a discussion mm -hmm. and also my suggestion. Okay. So normally it would be if there are large discrepancies, you can consider up to about five centimeters mm -hmm. in the tibia because lengthening large amounts in the femur. This I'm talking of. Yeah. Uh, external external lengthening, Excellent. right? Mm -hmm. If if there was a 10 centimeter lengthening in the uh, to be done in the femur and the patient could afford to do a precise, for example, mm -hmm. I would probably lengthen him the max mm -hmm. that I could, and then go back again and you know uh, okay. lengthen it again with the precise itself. I see, because it's in there. Good, good. Yeah, and it's it's a relatively straightforward uh, method. But I 10 centimeters with an external device yeah. becomes a problem. I gotcha. Very cool. And um, as far as uh, complications go, you mentioned at the beginning that, you know, no surgeon has 100% complication free rate. Um, but have you seen any major complications um, in your cosmetic patients um, so far? No, touch wood, we've not. One patient, uh, which was years ago, uh, with an external fixator, mm -hmm. had a delayed mm -hmm. healing for which he required a uh, bone grafting. Bone graft, yeah. Uh, all of the other, most of the other patients who had, say, fixators, mm -hmm. towards the end of lengthening, they will develop a little bit of equinus or the foot not going into dorsiflexion, just staying at neutral. Okay. Mostly they do develop about five degrees of. Uh, equinus, mm -hmm. but that with time and exercise, yeah, that will work itself out. So I don't count that as a true complication. Mm -hmm. But we've not had any uh, nerve injuries, no vascular injuries, mm -hmm. no permanent uh, complications. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's amazing! Really, uh, one actually one one the the one of the first patients that I had done, which was very long ago. <laughs> this was the patient who came to us. Uh, from another orthopedic surgeon. Oh. And uh, so we did that and then he was supposed to go back to his city and, um, you know, stay under the care of the other orthopedic surgeon. Right. And this patient was told about all the six centimeters and stuff, but the patient wanted eight centimeters. Uh. So he decided that uh, the doctors don't know enough and he didn't go to the other orthopedic surgeon and kept distracting till he was eight centimeters oh, no. it developed an equinus and then it took um, two years mm -hmm. you know i tried first with physiotherapy and all that nothing happened yeah and then at the end of two years we had to do a uh, that's i mean i came to know almost a year after actually uh -huh. so then we had to do a equinus uh, correction by a tendo achilles percutaneous um, mm -hmm. release so that that in that sense is a complication. But I learned from that in the sense, I generally now avoid, if, if when I do patients, I want them to be in Mumbai for the lengthening period. Uh -huh. We made a couple of exceptions for some of the precise uh, patients mm -hmm. where we've allowed them to uh, go back home and uh, you know send us x-rays and stuff. Yeah. But the precise can be relatively speaking controlled in okay. the sense that you know, someone has to program that ERC. Mm -hmm. 
So if I program it for six centimeters, he can't go to eight centimeters mm -hmm. unless he comes back to me. Right. So in that situation, it's it may be probably uh, safe. But as a philosophy, I say because all the problems that have to occur during a lengthening mm -hmm. generally will occur during the lengthening phase, not right. when the bone is consolidating. Oh, okay. So if you are close to me when uh, you are in the lengthening phase, mm -hmm. then it. You are more or less through. Then it's just a matter of time, waiting till the bone heals. Right. And during those those checkups and stuff like that, you you want them in Mumbai for it. Just it depends for the whole lengthening phase. So is that a, like a you you set that in place like a definite they have to stay there? It is something that I I, I like. Know. Yeah. But see what happens is as things change, um, as uh, say for example a patient from uh, India. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the other side of Mumbai, it takes about two hours to drive down to my place. Right. And if somebody is there who is in Delhi, mm -hmm. Delhi is a two hour flight from Mumbai. Okay. So somebody who's, who is who is willing to fly to Delhi and fly back for the visit, it, it turns out to be simpler actually because there he's, he's at home. Right, and he just has to come here for a day. Uh -huh. It makes sense. Okay. Um, one of the lengthening guys, the, I told you from the Middle East, mm -hmm. he went to the Middle East. Yeah. But that's only a four-hour flight away. Okay. If it is somebody from the U.S., yeah. which is almost you know nineteen hours, um, mm -hmm. twenty-six, twenty-seven hours, I think. Yeah. It's a, it's it's not that easy. And then the most important thing is who's going to take care of him there. Ah, that's true. You know, if at all a problem happens, then uh, people would say that, no, this is not my problem. Fair. I mean, they're, they're right in that. Yeah. So they, for those kind of patients, I would prefer that they be here. Mm -hmm. So there are issues relating to how you will stay in Mumbai. We're trying to look at, you know, how we can uh, work that out. Mm -hmm. the, the, it's not very simple because in Mumbai, you don't get uh, flats, you don't get apartments on short-term rentals. Uh -huh. But we are talking to a couple of people, we'll see. Probably we'll work out some method where, you know, yeah, it makes it easier for people to stay. At an affordable rate, I see. Yeah, a lot of clinics do that. Um, and as far as, let's say, that a patient was traveling and uh, do you have any fear of, let's say, um, uh, embolisms or anything like that. A lot of patients are worried. Like long, oh, yes, yeah. Long, long travel. That is that is always a risk. Okay, and so anyway, they wouldn't go for at least you know four or five weeks. Right. Not not that soon. Oh. Even if there was somebody who was going, they wouldn't go in in the first uh, four or five weeks after surgery. Okay, that's that's what I was going at. Okay, so that's how you um, avoid that. Very cool. Okay, um, Dr. Parker, a lot of cosmetic patients they may ask you about their proportions. I've get, gotten asked a lot about that. Um, what type of advice do you give them that best ease their mind? Uh, do you give them preoperatively? Do you talk to them about like, if we lengthen your femurs, it may look a little like this, or if we lengthen your tibias, it may look a little like this. And then they say, oh, but now my arms are too short. What type of um, scenario do you come up with your patients to kind of help them ease that concern? A lot of patients uh, know more about proportion, I think, than I do. <laughs> I uh, I mean there are there are patients who are talking of uh, proportion in terms of their uh, uh, clavicle and stuff like that. I know <laughs> nothing about that. I know the ratio of the femur to the uh, 
tibia right and i know that as far as your arms go you know your arms need to get into your uh, pant pockets right right so as long as you are you are within that i think within the limits that we are talking about it probably doesn't make any difference if you're talking of you know even a normal ratio of the femur to the tibia mm-hmm. lengthening it by about 8 cm it doesn't really affect the ratios that much at least visually okay secondly you are wearing clothes yeah yeah with that how you put your trousers on mm-hmm. i mean people who are short generally yeah. will tend to put their trousers a little higher mm-hmm. just to make the legs look longer uh, longer right so these these kind of uh, you know tricks should i say are are always there so i don't think i'm i'm not i will explain to them as to okay these are the proportions if they have a question Mm-hmm. but i don't think it's it's a really a big issue yeah. right yeah and i've heard that from most other surgeons they say that most patients after the surgery they don't even think about it it's more of a worry that they have before the surgery yeah. uh very cool now another big concern for patients and i know that you mentioned this earlier is that um the the cost of the procedure obviously the internal is more expensive than the um external uh but do you mind uh giving for the viewers um some of your clinic prices for the different uh, procedures that you offer see overall it in in terms of um, in terms of uh, cosmetic lengthening in term in indian rupees it's about rupees 900000 we call it a lakh over here a lakh yeah yeah that is uh, essentially the cost for in to out mm-hmm. for the hospitalization okay there are relatively minor costs for the follow up visit um the x-rays and all that which in total doesn't really amount to much in the sense of say you know 6 7 follow up visits and physiotherapy and stuff like that okay it doesn't count for much this 9 lakhs is is the bulk okay. now um that may change a little in terms of how the uh, currency fluctuates mm. now mm-hmm. that includes when we are using only a fixator that that includes the cost of the fixator okay otherwise the cost of um, uh, this thing of a precise mm-hmm. or a stride is added to that right uh, cost so um, but that cost includes all the other you know medications that you receive in hospital the physiotherapist while in everything that is in the hospital mhm it's included so that is i see very cool and um after after distraction phase uh let's i'm going to talk a little bit about physiotherapy because that's super important and you said you guys have a really good team there um and you mentioned that the physiotherapy is included in the cost but after distraction when they start to heal the bone are they able to do their physical therapy on their own or does do you guys give them like an exercise plan what type of um regimen yes. do you essentially okay. we give them a plan okay. which they carry out uh themselves that's what i said that when they come yeah this they see that ther- when they come for a follow up they see the therapist who mm-hmm. kind of checks that okay they are going according to the plan they're not having troubles with it mm-hmm. and uh if they're doing well then maybe add something in terms of the exercise plan or add something in terms of uh repetitions or stuff like that okay and if they are not doing well then we will get a therapist to uh 
visit them. Most of my Indian patients, I will liaise with a therapist in the locality who can go home and do uh, home visits, etc. Okay. Or any therapist that they know in their locality, mm-hmm. I will uh, you know speak to them on the phone, explain what I need and stuff like that. But patients who are under our care here or staying close by, they come to the hospital and see my therapists in the outpatient. Okay. Right. So there is a plan. There is we have very specific uh, goals that we want in terms of uh, stretching, in terms of strengthening, all of that. Okay. And the physiotherapists make sure they have that. That's really good backup. Um, and for patients that ask about how soon can I walk, let's say a patient went for the seven centimeters on the femur or five centimeters on the tibia. Um, after they start to heal the bone and you're confident that that bone is strong and healed, it filled in the gap. When can they expect to re- regain a normal walk? Because obviously we know that the bone is fine. I, my, the honest truth is I think if you're having a cosmetic lengthening, what I tell patients is you are not going to be normal before one year. One year. Okay. Yeah. And that's the time where you are free. You may get free of crutches, Mm -hmm. but your rhythm, Mm -hmm. the way that you walk, the smoothness with which you walk, you cannot come back to uh, normalcy Mm -hmm. much before that. I think even if you're okay, if you're extremely committed, you know, huge on your therapy and stuff, maybe seven, eight, months right yeah at the earliest yeah but to 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 be walking in a crowd and someone who knows you doesn't realize that this guy has had something done yeah i would say a year a year so again this is part of my uh, you know cry wolf uh, strategy in the sense prepare you for the worst if mm. you get better quicker than that lovely uh. <laughs> but uh, th- you are going into it knowing that, okay, up to this much time, mm-hmm. I can uh, take. You had a lengthening yourself, right? Yes, yes. I had a discrepancy though. But And how, how long was it before you got completely normal? It was about six months for me, but I had a... So, yeah, it wasn't cosmetic. Exactly. So. so, it was one side. Yep. It was one know, side. And, and, and you are a very, uh, obviously, a very athletic yep. person in that sense. Mm-hmm. So, for, for a person of your caliber if it takes you six months to recover fully right someone who's not that athletic definitely going to take longer okay yeah yeah and that's why i tell them i say six to eight months maybe longer but you got to be dedicated on that therapy very cool um and you mentioned that uh patients should stay in mumbai for the distraction phase you um also i've heard other patients say that dr parihar recommends that they have a helper with them somebody to come with them during the lengthening, is that also something you recommend? No, we've, we've done the, the, the people who've been out of town mm-hmm. for us, the cosmetic lengthening. Mm-hmm. We've done them uh, without. Oh, okay. we've, we've, we've been their uh, family, so to speak. Okay. <laughs> I mean, one, of, one, of, one of the first guys uh, that we did, uh, I think he, on the, the day of surgery or the day after surgery was his... Uh, birthday, I think. Uh-huh. So we, we got him a cake, uh, took <laughs> pictures of him with the cake, sent those pictures to his mom and stuff like that. That's awesome. But that's ultimately, see, that is what, uh, this is a patient who's come all that way, mm-hmm. putting his trust uh, in us. Mm-hmm. 
so quite apart from the fact that we have to uh, you know uh, ensure that whatever faith he has put in us is not misplaced that's right. number 1 but then ultimately while he is here then he has nobody else except us so it is our kind of duty in that sense mm-hmm. to look after him okay why i say that you have to have somebody with you is yeah um in india one is that uh, sometimes people will have the the idea that okay i can get it done without informing my parents mm-hmm. or a loved one or a significant other and it's this is a very demanding uh, uh, you know demanding procedure emotionally mm-hmm. it requires a lot of emotional support if you don't have emotional support mm-hmm. uh, then you can go haywire and i have treated three four other uh, patients you know with treated with lengthening elsewhere mm-hmm. where a uh, patient comes in here thinking that okay i need to get 6 cm of lengthening mm-hmm. so 65 days and at the end of 80 days i will go back to america and i will join the fall semester or whatever and then at the end of 80 days he's got a flexion deformity of the knee and an equinus uh, contracture and he's got infection in the pins he's got pain mom and dad are there it's a mess it's a complete mess so the the reason for asking for a helper mm-hmm. is to ensure that there is someone significant in the family who knows what is going on uh, going on interestingly there was there was a, a, a case in india where somebody got a lengthening done mm-hmm. in a city called hyderabad mm. which is the south of india okay and this guy has not informed his parents when the parents then they started searching for him because he kind of went missing mm-hmm. they found him in the hospital mm-hmm. and he was in bad shape because the you know the lengthening was going on and he was not ready for it uh-huh. so now in that situation the whole thing was turned on to the doctor that how can you do something uh, like this etc but basically my goal here is that this is and so normally when i am explaining all of these things yeah. i especially if it's younger people in india you know we we don't leave the family um, very early in the west you, you tend to become independent quicker uh-huh. so i will insist that either a brother sister or a parent mm-hmm. is there yeah to listen to that whole uh, list of complications possible complications etc that i recite they are listening to it so that because you know when you want something mm-hmm. you are only listening to the good side yeah <laughs> that's true you don't I, i say that okay you can have an embolism mhm yeah you, okay it's not going to happen to me mhm you know but yeah. i i did say it you didn't register it that that is where the the uh, problem comes up i see so that's 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 the reasoning behind it not to not to uh, and sometimes you know there is also what we call a medico legal uh, thing suppose something happens mm-hmm. suppose there is a complication right then uh, i said so i but for for patients who are international yes uh, we we look after them that's not a big issue it's not a problem okay so it's more of a like kind of a a coping mechanism versus a mandated mechanism i see very cool And um I kind of want to ask this question a lot of patients always wonder from a surgeon's perspective is 
Do you feel that there's going to be any long-term effects on the bones or soft tissues after a cosmetic uh, procedure? Um, let's say like after five centimeters in the tibia, like maybe arthritic and then arthritis in the knees or um, hip problems, anything like that? Or No, I don't think so. If, if the lengthening has gone off peacefully mm -hmm. without too much of, you know, uh, trouble mm -hmm. in terms of therapy and stuff, I don't think it's going to oh. go, it's going to create because here what's happening is the tissues are uh, adapting. Okay. Now I think we've had enough uh, experience, say even with cos uh, not cosmetic lengthenings, but say congenital lengthenings and stuff, where at least for the uh, medium term, mm -hmm. you know, they don't have any major changes in terms of arthritis and all. As long as overall alignment issues and all are are okay. Right there should not be any problem. One thing I don't know because I have no experience and probably some of the other guys who are doing more would be able to say, which I get asked quite a lot, mm -hmm. is uh, what about my sports yeah. or what about my sporting uh, level? Will mm -hmm. I be able to get back to that? I don't have a simple uh, answer to that. Okay. I think you could, mm -hmm. but I have no personal experience say of a patient who was at a high very high level in terms of sports right and then had a cosmetic lengthening and then went back mm -hmm. to that the patients that i have operated are you know regular uh, guys who want recreational sport and stuff yeah. but not to a very high level of sale i see yeah i definitely am following with a few patients to get that data so if i have it i'll send it along <laughs> all right well, Dr. Parha, that was an amazing uh, interview. You're one of the most experienced limb lengthening surgeons uh, in the world. Uh, top surgeons, several patients appreciate you for your passion, care, and expertise in the field. And so for anybody who's looking for limb lengthening, whether they're from India or elsewhere in the world, what's the best way to reach out to you and contact you for a consultation? Uh, the best way is our uh, email. I know you had some problem getting through on that uh, email. I don't know why it didn't come through, but that uh, email of, uh, you know, you can put it into your comments. It's info at uh, docs.in. Okay. That is, that is the best uh, way. I'll pass, pass on a WhatsApp number also to you. Okay. But we, I think email is the best because we can keep track of it. Okay. Generally, we have a system of uh, kind of ticketing. Mm -hmm. So we keep a track of, of uh, things that haven't been answered and stuff like that. That's okay. probably the best way. The best way. And do you have a website as well? I do have a website, okay. which has, uh, which is a little dated now. We'll try and correct it. It's called elizarov.in. Okay. Um, but uh, a lot of this information, which, which uh, I, I gave you now in terms of lengthening and all, we've got a little mini site where we've got a page related to cosmetic lengthening. Okay. Which you keep updating in terms of you know all the pros and cons and the costs and stuff. Mm -hmm. So when someone asks us about cosmetic lengthening, mm -hmm. uh, we generally send them a link uh, to that page. I'll share a link with to that also with you on email, and then you can put that in the comments. Absolutely, I'll be sure to post all of your contact information in the show notes so everybody can reach out to you through that way. Um, Dr. Parihar, are there any final words you'd like to say to anybody who's looking for limb lengthening with you? Uh, looking for limb lengthening or looking for limb lengthening with me? Uh, both. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> I think I think the bottom line that that you need to uh, look for is to look for uh, safety. Mm. You know, uh, I know there are people who have issues with in terms of affordability and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I would say you know, waiting for six months, one year, if need be, mm-hmm. uh, and trying to do something that is safe mm-hmm. is much. better uh, because we've seen patients who haven't done well with uh, cosmetic lengthening in the sense uh, xyz does it mm-hmm. and then we are seeing the problems bones are not uh, healing and uh, stuff like that so it's it's always better to be safe mm-hmm. uh, and go in you know slow and steady don't kind of rush into it do your research it's not necessary that you will come to me mm-hmm. uh, do your research and choose a, a doctor that you feel uh, comfortable with that you feel confident with right. and who's got a sort of track record you know of, of using the elisa absolutely that's a great way to end it all right everyone that is dr mangal parihar of the center for limb lengthening and reconstruction at the mangal anand hospital in chernbore mumbai india Dr. Parihar, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Victor. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Dr. Parihar. With over 30 years of experience and a philosophy of function over length regarding patient safety, it's no wonder he's one of the top leading surgeons in the field of limb lengthening and deformity reconstruction. If you're interested in reaching out to Dr. Parihar, you can find all of his contact information in the show notes. Until next time, this is Victor from Cyborg for Life, signing out.